on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, we'll begin with some genre-related news. Disney announced this week that it would forego theatrical release of Mulan in favor of debuting the film on its Disney Plus streaming service. Mulan will be available as a premium feature, so unlike other content, it won't be directly available to subscribers. Customers will have to pay $29.99 to rent the movie in addition to the regular subscription fee of $6.99. Mulan will play in theaters in those areas where Disney Plus isn't available. Disney CEO Bob Chapek describes the strategy as a one-off rather than a shift to a new business windowing model. The annual Will Eisner Comics Industry Awards were held virtually last Friday, hosted this year by actor Phil Lamar. You can find a listing of all the winners on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Fantastic Forum. And while you're there, if you haven't already, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We love to be liked and we like to be followed. And earlier this week, the annual Hugo Awards were presented during a ceremony at the 78th World Science Fiction Convention in New Zealand. The convention was held virtually this year due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. You can see the winners via a link on the aforementioned FF Facebook page. King Features, Red 5 Comics, and Stonebot Studios have teamed up for a modern continuation of Lee Falk's classic pulp character Mandrake the Magician. The new title, Mandrake the Magician, Mandrake's Legacy, features 17-year-old magician-in-training Mandy Paz, who aspires to follow in the footsteps of the legendary Mandrake, The comic is written by Erica Schultz and illustrated by Diego Garibaldi, Juan Pablo Massa, and Mancho Bunge. It will be available this fall. It was announced last week that Amazon Prime's The Boys has been renewed for a third season, this in advance of the debut of its second season on September 4th. There will also be a spinoff talk show that will accompany the series, hosted by Aisha Tyler, Prime Rewind, The Boys, will air immediately following the show and will feature members of the cast, creative team, and other special guests. August 1st was National Spider-Man Day, observing the debut of the Marvel Comics character in Amazing Fantasy number 15, cover dated August 1962. And earlier this week, NASA astronauts Bob Benkin and Doug Hurley returned safely to Earth after a two-month stay aboard the International Space Station. The crew's SpaceX Dragon capsule splashed down just south of Pensacola on the Gulf Coast of Florida shortly before noon Pacific time on August 2nd. And today on the radio show, we're talking about all that and probably more because I had a list of stuff, but it all goes out the window once we actually start. So 
Joining me on this special coronavirus edition are Drew Bittner, Julian Lytle, and Mike Lunsford. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hey. Hello. So, yeah. So, um, I before we really get into anything, uh, I do want to start uh, with uh, just a word or two about uh, the late great John Saxon. Um, he <laughs> had, uh, you know, because I'll tell you something. Th- this guy, uh, he had so he had practically two hundred acting credits. I only found that out after he had passed away. And I and I hate to say I, I had I had been thinking about him week before last. And I, I I have to admit, I was thinking, is John Saxon still alive? And then all of a sudden, here he is, and now he's not. But uh, I will, I, it's, it's funny, a lot of people think about him for Enter the Dragon, but what I mainly remember him for is the second pilot to Gene Roddenberry's Genesis 2 that he starred in. It was called Planet Earth, aired as a TV movie on ABC years ago, uh, the story of Dylan Hunt and Pax and Earth following a cataclysmic disaster, trying to put itself back together, sub-shuttle network running around the globe. Uh, Ted Cassidy was in this thing. Great makeup. I just, I'm sorry this thing didn't get picked up as a series. I was really excited about it. And of course, the second pilot following along behind Star Trek, uh, because the first pilot starred Alex Cord and had Marriott Hartley uh, actually under the name Genesis 2. But what, what do you guys got to say about John Saxon? Oh, that was my man's, yo. Enter the Dragon, yo, and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, so he got he was in two iconic joints. Like, I don't know. That's like the main things I know him from. He had a great look. He had great charisma on screen. He was able to stand around with, uh, with Bruce Lee and not, like, get completely overshadowed. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Bruce Lee and oh Jim God. Kelly. <laughs> yeah, Jim, but you know what I'm saying? Jim Kelly's character don't make it out through the whole movie, you know? So, <laughs> That's um, true. That's true. John I Saxon. Thought. I don't even remember John Saxon's name in the movie because I just called him John Saxon since <laughs> I was a kid. I'm like, yo, John Saxon, yo, he about to be playing golf. He's like, oh, we got a tournament in the island? Oh, I'm going to that. I got to get some money. <laughs> like, John Saxon, did he out there? He killing Freddy Krueger to make Freddy Krueger? I was like, oh, man. I'm spoiling everything. But yeah, like, that's the beginning of. Uh, of uh of Nightmare on Elm Street, and then he was in the TV show. He was in the first episode. Yeah, he's great, man. I love John Saxon. He was he was, he was awesome. I mean, it seemed like he was everywhere for like so many years growing up. Like in the seventies and eighties, the guy was just like omnipresent. And you know, it's one of those where it's like like oh, it's John Saxon. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna change channels. I bet I can't go around the dial with. with around the dial without hitting a John Saxon movie, <laughs> you know? And, and yet, you know, he was, he was good. And the thing is that he was so, he was so understated that I think that his, what he, what he brought to all these movies is so, so probably easily overlooked. Um, he was such a great performer. He was a great actor. Um, I, I don't recall him ever giving a really bad or flat performance in anything that he did. He was always watchable. And you know he'll be missed. He, mm-hmm. even even as, even at the advanced stage of you know being in his eighties, you know he'll he'll still be missed. Yeah, and it's funny he aged pretty well too because uh, you, you see these pictures of him, you know, from being in his late seventies, eighties, and he doesn't look bad. I mean, some people you're like, oh my god, look at them, you know. But John Saxon, I mean, he still looked like he might have been able to jive kick somebody's ass a little bit, you know. <laughs> and 
And I appreciate, Drew, what you were saying about how he popped up everywhere because he was on. I mean, I, 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 I singled out Planet Earth, but there was also an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man where um, he was uh, Steve Austin's friend. And he was this uh, army guy and they snatched him up and they replaced him with this bionic robot. Mm. And, um, you know, it was like, oh, man. Yeah, I mean, that was like it was first season episodes, one of the best episodes. But it was like, oh, John Saxon is the robot. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and he was on an episode of Wonder Woman and a bunch of he did all those shows. And in fact, I was uh, watching TV the other night and he was on Police Story. <laughs> and It was like, oh, John Saxon on Police Story. Check him out, you know. So yeah, he was om- omnipresent. Is a wonderful. He was character. everywhere. Mm-hmm. He was everywhere. I mean, you would you would not be surprising to see like one of the one of the gorillas in Planet of the Apes was John Saxon. <laughs> that that would not be a surprise. Um, but you know that's that's the thing. It's like you know he was he was one of those people that he made hay while the sun shone and did it great. And there you go. Indeed, real leading man type. Oh, Julian. He was Roper. And in fact, you, that scene you mentioned on the golf course, it's the money, Roper. Oh, we got to break something. <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, didn't, he, didn't, he only had that one name. You don't know whether Roper was his first name or his last name. It was that's why Roper. I just called him John Saxon. <laughs> like, yo, Jim Kelly, John Saxon, and Bruce Lee. Who cares <laughs> yeah. what their names actually are in the story? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah. No, that's uh, yes. Uh, he 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 had a great career. There you go. All right. Uh, something else from uh, these. Well, from last week actually. Uh, of course, you had the Eisner Awards and the Hugo Awards that got handed out. And um, you, of course, you can find if you want to take a look at the list of the winners, you can find all of those on the Fantastic Forum Facebook page, as I said earlier. But uh, always a good idea to check these out, because uh, as I had remarked earlier, well, of course, before we went on the air, I remarked that the Eisners are the Oscars of the comic industry and the Hugo Awards are the Oscars of science fiction literature basically well and science fiction media generally so mm-hmm. yeah um anyway so uh, yes both of those were handed out something else that was worthy of note from low these uh, these this past week um we had an anniversary it was the 80th anniversary of the first appearance of bugs bunny now i, I gotta throw a qualifier on that just a little because uh while Bugs Bunny had actually appeared before. Um, he was not Bugs Bunny. He was Happy Rabbit when he first appeared. And so his appearance in this Porky Pig short uh, from 80 years ago was his first official appearance as Bugs Bunny. And, you know, of course, the Bugs Bunny character in the annals of cartoons and comics and animation has there ever been a character? Like Bugs Bunny? <laughs> I mean, no, no. He's no. like absolute, like one of my favorites of all time. Period. Like that. If if people ask me, like when you're when you're like thinking of the things that like created your sense of humor and like the way you talk and the way you think of things, like Looney Tunes is is high up there for the things that I find funny, and Bugs Bunny is like a- among them, and like. 
just to think that like the 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 places he would go for comedy like no problem cross-dressing at all whatsoever <laughs> that's true <laughs> and like it was that was way ahead of its time you know like it it's and it was it was like the other thing that i always loved about it too is that like you always knew he had a plan he was always he was almost like a superhero in a way like he was always gonna find a way to beat the villain because you knew that bugs was smarter and like yeah i, I like just that level of comedy like it's you know it, it, oftentimes you'll hear you know they don't make them like they used to that's that right there it's hard to find comedy of that level that that i appreciate as much mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's yeah. true i think that i think that the funny thing is that the, the the people that were creating um bugs bunny you know we're writing these shorts for theatrical release you know to accompany feature films and so on because you know short short feature serial um cartoon newsreel and then film you know back in the day um i think one of the things that's kept bugs from achieving that same that same level since then has been the sense that you know you're writing for kids now and they they dumb him down and he's not the clever guy anymore in fact a lot of his stuff now seems more cruel a lot more you know mean-spirited sometimes and it's just not you know it's not clever it's not funny and i think that that's because the people that are writing bugs more recently don't really get who he is yeah i i think you're onto something there and uh, i do want to just give some credit to Tex Avery and Chuck Jones and Bob Clampett and Bob Givens, uh, Robert McKimson and Ben Hardaway, because all those guys are credited as being creators of Bugs Bunny. And one thing that we always want to make sure we do on Fantastic Forum is give the creators some credit. But uh, (laughs) Drew, I, I appreciate what you're saying because... Bugs Bunny absolutely was not for kids. <laughs> when he those forties no. cartoons, man, that was not for kids at all. And and I think that you've hit on something when you say that uh, they look at it today. And in fact, I think that there's a misconception about cartoons in general. And we were kind of talking about that relating to something else. But I think people expect cartoons to be funny. And they're not always. You look at some political cartoons, they're supposed to be thought-provoking or interesting. You know, just because it's something that's drawn that might have some funny-looking characters doesn't mean that it's supposed to be humorous. But the, yeah. the, the commentary that was biting on those Bugs Bunny cartoons, I mean, I remember being a kid, and heck, half that stuff was going over my head, but he was just going rapid fire with it, and so you didn't have time to dwell on it. The other Mm -hmm. thing that I liked was how they incorporated media figures from the time into those cartoons. You know, people like Humphrey Bogart showed up, you know, and, uh, you know, all kinds of folks. It was Errol Flynn in that Robin Hood one. I mean, they were, it was great. I mean, and in fact, they even sort of lampooned some stars making them cartoon characters. Oh, a lot of them. Yeah. They they did that with Jack Benny. They did that with Ray Moland. Uh, Ray Moland has that cameo in the nightclub, you know, cartoon where, uh, you know, in Lost, like in Lost Weekend, his character pawns his typewriter and he's a writer. That's him literally giving up his life. And that's the, the arc of that story in that movie. 
and he he gives a typewriter to the bartender in that cartoon and says, "You're changed, sir." And he gets like four little typewriters back. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> there's there's a line from from Seinfeld where they're all dressed up to go to the opera, and yeah. Jerry's wearing a tux and he starts singing the song that Bugs Bunny sings at the beginning of the Merry Melodies and. Um, Elaine goes, it's sad that all of your knowledge of high society comes from Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> when I think about it, like Drew just mentioned it, like I didn't, I never understood, I knew exactly what cartoon he was talking about, but I didn't understand that joke with the typewriters at all. But like, what, what kid growing up in the eighties and nineties would know who Carmen Miranda is? No, unless you're exactly. watching, unless you're watching Bugs Bunny cartoons. So like you, yeah. you, you've got an appreciation for history in a way and like the the golden age of of cinema and hollywood like it really it forced you to either pay attention to it or you know just laugh at you know people getting hit on the head with anvils it's it's a weird it's a weird thing how those cartoons made some of these characters absolutely ageless you know yeah. like um a, a representation of bogart shows up in a couple of these things so mm-hmm. you know kids have seen Humphrey Bogart, in a way, and they have an idea of who he is. And but by the way, people react to him; they understand who he was. So it's kind of like, okay, like you know, when when he takes out his handkerchiefs and mops his head and says, "Baby, we're just gonna have to have a ham sandwich instead." You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA ninety six point seven FM and streaming on WERA FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined for today's show by Drew Bittner and Mike Lunsford and Julian Lytle. And we are talking about the cartoon character, Bug, the ageless, the timeless cartoon character, Bugs Bunny. Because just last week was the 80th anniversary of Bugs Bunny's very first appearance in a Porky Pig cartoon. And uh, we were talking about the cultural impact of, of this character. Now, um, this is uh, somebody mentioned how Bugs Bunny was practically like a superhero because he was always out thinking whoever the villain was. And I want to point out, Bugs had magical powers. <laughs> you know, he had I, you know, whatever it was he needed. I mean, whether we're talking about um, he's going to be the artist erasing other characters and drawing folks or whatever. I mean, there was, or whether he had to move a hole or do whatever. I mean, but uh, this this guy, he was always ahead of whatever was going on. And uh, I, I, this is the thing with the timeless nature of these stories, uh, because the sensibilities of different times allow for different kinds of presentations and i'm old enough to where i remember when these cartoons were shown on wpix channel 11 uncut (laughs) and you know so you had a lot of characters in blackface and that was perfectly acceptable for the time and uh, i also remember when they started cutting these parts and you'd get almost to the end of the cartoon and then whoops it's gone because you had the minstrel band at the end of this one particular one, and uh, it was, it was just it was interesting uh, coming up in that time because of the changing dynamics of what was socially and culturally acceptable. So um, there's that. 
but um, I'd, I'd uh, actually, I, I don't know that I want to move on from that so quickly. Does anybody else have any? Because that, that's kind of a big thing. You know, I mean, does anybody you know, else? I remember it wasn't even specifically a Bugs Bunny cartoon. It was a, um, it was a Tex Avery one. And it had to do with a magic um, conductor's wand. And there was a scene where, I'm trying to artfully put this without being offensive. Um, somebody, like, basically whatever the conductor did, the guy who was singing did too. And, like, somebody sprayed ink on the guy's face. And it was basically mm. a blackface joke. And I remember watching this as a kid and just thinking it was funny. And then not until I was older realizing, oh, God, that was horribly offensive. <laughs> and, like, and realizing it and, like, not being of the mindset of, oh, well, you can't just delete that sort of stuff. It's history. It, it was history, but it's also offensive, offensive. And like the things that they got away with was, was shocking. Like the things that they said, the things that they did. And it was socially acceptable for the time. It was, you know, I mean, to a make lot a, of that, you know, it was interesting getting to see both ends of that, seeing like the progression as we grew, you know, and seeing that these are the things that, um, that this used to look like that, that used that people used to think was okay to do. Well, and I point out that even though they will not show these scenes or sequences when the uh, cartoons are aired on broadcast television now, if you buy the collected set, you can see all the cartoons uncut. And uh, I think it's Whoopi Goldberg that they have who introduces some of these things. And they make a point of saying, yeah, all right, some of the stuff you see, you might find kind of questionable. But bear in mind that from the perspective of those times, this was completely acceptable. And it was actually even somewhat progressive, the fact that Bugs Bunny had black people in these cartoons and bugs was cool with the black people is the other thing it's not like he was looking down on anybody or treating anybody bad or you know bugs was cool bugs was running around in a zoot suit and you know doing whatever he needed to do well i don't know that that can get to a long a longer complicated conversation of uh where a lot of american comedy comes from and part of how it's society like with the with uh minstrels and and blackface and vaudeville and where a lot of that stuff comes from but you know in the end i love bugs bunny i think he holds up over time more than let's say i think drew does because i like a lot of the modern uh looney tunes like the looney tune show that came on like about eight years ago was like one of my favorite types or takes mm -hmm. on the character since it was a sitcom with daffy duck and the new Funny looney Rabbit. tunes wabbit is okay it's just a step down from uh from the Looney Tunes show, but the new Looney Tunes okay. that's on uh, HBO Max are pretty excellent, especially with them trying to go for the entire 1940s aesthetic uh, in terms of the way everyone is drawn and the, the level of quality of animation and um, ink and paint. Uh, if people haven't watched those yet, uh, is that's totally worth some of the first things you should watch on HBO Max is the new the new Looney Tunes. And also, hip-hop cool. and basketball loves... Uh, Bugs Bunny because of Space Jam, Michael Jordan and Nike. He has his own Nikes, Jordan Sevens, and I have a pair that has fur to match uh, Bugs Bunny's fur because that's how <laughs> awesome. It is. Well, you know, it's interesting as you're as you're talking about that, Julian. Uh, I I recalled one of the things that I did want to mention, uh, which was 
the sad passing of the original voice of Bugs Bunny, Mel Blanc. And it, it, it's for me, those cartoons changed when Bugs's voice changed. Now, um, Mel Blanc Jr. was doing the voice, and he could pretty much do what his dad did, but it didn't sound like his dad. Not really, you know? And, and something was lost without uh, those vocal characterizations uh, of Mel Blanc because he was such an integral part of bringing the Bugs Bunny character to life. Yeah, that's true. I agree. Yeah, and and I don't want to leave the I don't want to leave the impression that I that I absolutely hate all the more recent Looney Tunes stuff. I really don't. I I, I just don't. Oh, think I that, do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that I think that in too many cases, until more recently, it was missing the mark because they were trying to write a kids show. And Julian makes a good point about some of the more recent things. Like I have seen Wabbit, I have seen some of the Looney Tunes shows, and they and they do seem funnier and more a little more biting and a little more insightful. And I think that's that's good. I think that's the right track for them to be on. And if the most recent version is even better than that, that's that's terrific. But, you know, it, it, here's the thing about the more modern Warner Brothers cartoons. Um, maybe you just don't need to be doing the Looney Tunes and the Merry Melody stuff. Because, quite frankly, some of that Animaniac stuff was off the wall. That was hilarious. That was great yeah. stuff. And even so, Tiny Toons to a, a lesser extent, but I love yeah, Tiny Toons. Like, yeah, I'm like I, I did too, and like it did that same thing that we were talking about before, where it brings Hollywood. Right. Like they were making, I, I I remember specifically with Tiny Toons, them making really deep cuts with Hollywood when it came to Batman, when Batman came out. Like, but yeah, like these are things that like kids wouldn't know at all. Like they even made a Sean Young joke about her mm-hmm. dressing up as Catwoman. Like, and again, that's a yeah. really deep cut that nobody would have gotten. Like, I think that that's one of those things where like you want the spirit of the original to be there, but at the same time too, with you want to bring this to a new audience. You want to, you want new people exactly. to be able to appreciate it and you can't use exactly. that same style all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, but you and, can and update it. I think that there's certainly uh, creations that are of their time so much that it's, it becomes really, really difficult to update them and make them relevant for new times. And there are characters certainly that seem very timeless, but there's other characters that you start looking and it's like, yeah, they're, they're really connected to that particular era. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, the talk about bringing Animaniacs back, which has been around for a couple of years now, um, is interesting. I think that that's good. I think that it's, it's never a bad idea to try and create new things yeah. because we get new stuff out of it. Um, and I, I would like to see more well done Bugs Bunny. It's just, it's it's difficult to do. And I think that, you know, we should at least look for as many new things as we do look back on things we have nostalgia for. Mm-hmm. I can't argue with that, you know, and uh, I, I think that it, it, creativity and history uh, it being what it is sometimes it's it's it, it's just a natural progression to move on to something else you know uh, i mean i don't know i i well i i i know that they will never recapture uh, some of the glory of those older bugs bunny shorts i mean some of the some of that stuff is great and in fact i i want to come back to that because of course that musical cue means that it's time for us to take a short break because 
Uh, of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station, and uh, that means that we're non-commercial. We are beholden to our sponsors and our underwriters for the continued existence of this wonderful community resource. So we're going to step aside for a moment while we acknowledge the invaluable contribution of those underwriters and sponsors. We're also going to take a moment to promote some of the other wonderful WERA programming coming up later this evening. But stick around because Drew and Julian and Mike and I are going to be back with more talk about Bugs Bunny right after this. Don't go away. And we're back on Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming on WERA.FM. Radio Arlington, I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I am joined today by Julian Lytle, Mike Lunsford, and Drew Bittner. And when last we left our stalwart panel, we were talking about that wascally wabbit himself, Bugs Bunny, because last week was the 80th anniversary of the first appearance of the timeless comic book character. You'll never recapture some of the, well, some of the magic, let's call it, for want of a better way, uh, of Bugs Bunny. I want to double back on something that uh, one of the panelists was talking about earlier. Mike, I think it was you talking about uh, the culture, uh, cultural element of Bugs Bunny. Because, uh, you know, the stuff that you get exposed to, uh, opera, um, uh, in fact, shoot, with the Ring of the Nibelung, <laughs> you know, they, they had a whole cartoon <laughs> devoted to that. With um, some of the original Wagner music, uh, that stuff was great. And cool. Of course, uh, Leopold... Tchaikovsky. Yeah, Leopold Tchaikovsky, yes. Um, you know, it depicted in the cartoon as Bugs Bunny puts on a wig and pretends to be Leopold, Leopold. You know, everybody's like <laughs> all impressed. I mean... You know, I, I, I like for, for crying out loud killed a wabbit killed a wabbit <laughs> I mean like how many kids knew that they were singing you know play, um, play the Valkyries you know like it's uh, not many you know you hey. knew it what next time you heard that song though you're like oh <laughs> oh that's kill the wabbit yeah okay it, oh there's stuff going on here like yeah I don't know I think I, it, I think it always informed stuff and you were able to bounce off other things and also you have to think it, it may be harder for for children now, but you know our age and like you go back for Drew and, and Ulysses, you didn't have a bunch of stations, you didn't have streaming, so you might end up watching the Big Sleep. You might end up watching a bunch of old movies. Mm-hmm. So it's like you. It's not only did you see the cartoon, you be like, oh, that's a reference to this movie with with uh, with Cagney. Like you know, like all these, all these figures you would see movies because it's like, well, ain't nothing else to watch, so I'm finna watch this black and white movie. Or you might just have a black and white TV and everything's black and white anyway. So thank you. <laughs> so, you just finna watch these movies, so like. I didn't help that, that the first color TV we get. Yeah, then you just go around and you get new things like Tiny Toons happened in the '90s and they would do an episode where they they did Montana Max was basically like um. Uh, Rosebud or whatever, like they just like what? Like it's I had, what, yeah. So this came, like I ended up watching the movie. I was like, now I totally get that episode way more than I did before. But like <laughs> you know, like 
Like so, it kept on going. I think there was a period in the in the in the early two thousands when they did the Lunatics and and the baby and the baby Looney Tunes, where things just kind of got like, yeah, this is for like kids, kids. But then once you get to the twenty tens, that, that Looney Tunes show is was the best sitcom on television for two years, and it was a cartoon, and nobody, no, it never got the respect it deserved. It, no sitcom was better than, I don't care, Curb Your Enthusiasm, all that stuff wasn't better than that show. Like. I was like, this is hilarious. If this was about people, it would win all the Emmys and all the Golden Globes. Mm. But it was Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck living in a sharing a house. So nobody <laughs> nobody like <laughs> hey, like, oh, so they just got to like, nah, this is hilarious. <laughs> like ahead of its time. It was different. You know, then they did Wabbit when that wasn't popping and but this new I'm telling y'all, the new stuff new stuff is fire. The new stuff is is great. You got crazy Daffy Duck. You got oh, good road. You got good road running back. You got you got bugs with your Sammy Sam. He ain't shoot nobody. Just, <laughs> but it's still explosions. He just ain't shooting nobody. You know. See, I always loved I loved the the shift that that um, Daffy Duck had where he went Ooh, from I love the shift being Daffy, and then all of a sudden he was just sarcastic. He was like always crapped on. Like he was just like the butt of every joke. Like the Robin Hood when he when he's uh, swinging in the tree and hits every single branch on the way. Oh my god! <laughs> like and every time he's got the staff and it keeps like making his bill go. Yeah, like I, I might actually like Daffy more than I like Buck. No, no, I can't say that. Like, yeah, but just see, I'm just like gushing like a little kid right now. Yeah, I, I I absolutely love Looney Tunes, but like the the duck season, rabbit season is like <laughs> yeah, that might be the best best cartoon ever. The only time I dislike Bugs Bunny is when he's hating on my man Daffy. <laughs> <laughs> Daffy is such a great comic foil for Bugs. <laughs> when he shows think... up, when he shows up in Space Jam, and nobody cheers, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think Chuck James actually once said that um, Bugs is who he would really like to be, and Daffy is who he thinks he really is. Mm. That's some serious uh, analysis there. Hey, um, before we uh, leave off of Bugs Bunny, I just uh, it, it, let's take a couple of seconds here and talk about some of our uh, favorite Bugs Bunny bits. Because for me, uh, this it's the cartoon where um, it's it's like a fox hunt, and uh, evidently they don't have a fox, and so Bugs Bunny dresses up like a fox. And uh, one of the things that cracks me up about this cartoon is the hounds. And they every time you see the hounds, they're playing this, and they're all, I mean, they're going sideways and they're barking and their tails are all out. It's just crazy. And so um, at, at the conclusion of this cartoon, um, Bugs, because he's tired of getting chased. And so he's like, hey, look, I'm a rabbit. I'm not a fox. And the the, the dogs are like, Hey, fellas, now we're hunting a rabbit, you know, and so they're on him. And he runs to this hollow log that is sticking out over a cliff. And so he runs through the log, and the the dogs chase him. But he comes out the other side, and he turns it over to the to the cliff. And the dogs run out, and then they, they you know, of course, they're hanging in midair. They run back inside the log. And Bug tur- Bugs turns it again, and he turns it over the cliff. And they go run it out, and then they go <laughs> run it back in. And then he doesn't turn it. And you see this hand come out and feel the ground, and then it goes back in, and the music starts up, and then Bugs turns the log, and they all <laughs> go running out. 
<laughs> and they run so far they can't get back and it's just i just I, I love that sequence i think that is some of the I mean, at least to me that's some of the funniest bugs buddy routine stuff that i have seen it's just and it it absolutely uh, depicts how he's always ahead of what's going on and he's the master of every situation of course uh, there's this one dog, the kind of big, dumb, stupid dog that cuts his tail off at the end. And he's like, oh, well, just call me Stubby. <laughs> but but it's still uh, I, that that that's one of my favorite Bugs Bunny cartoons, Bugs Bunny moments. His interactions with the Tasmanian devil are fantastic. <laughs> like I mentioned his his penchant for um, for cross dressing when he's he's cross he's cross dressing and he's got the big bear trap for his lips. <laughs> and he goes, John, and Tasmanian Devil goes, Martha, and they embrace. Like, yeah, that just, that kills me every time. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, I like the one where he's the pitcher, and he's the, is a, it's the baseball oh, game. Oh, yeah, against oh, God, the team of gorillas. Oh, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Just like the big dudes, and he just got like, he's got to beat him. Like, he's just like, he, he the plays pitches, every position. And yeah, yeah he's like, hey, da, da. It's like, he's just out there and he's pitching and he put that sauce on the ball and it's just be going on to the way. He's like, you're at strike one, strike two, strike three. And like, you just see Malvin just, just start swinging and he just gets them all out. It's like, that joke never stopped being funny. It's like, oh, man. Um, that and the classic thing that he d- did and like, I wrote it into a thing I did years ago. Um, I love the argument when you're going back and forth. He's arguing with the umpire, and they're going safe out, safe out, and then he flips it to make the other guy flip it too, so that they agree. <laughs> like it's such a ridiculous concept, but like it's just one of my favorite things. It's so damn funny. As it works in real <laughs> life. Yeah, I, I, I've, too. I've got two really quick. Um, one of my favorites is the circus where he's dealing with the the Russian bear. And they have that contest at the end where he says, I'll die 500 feet into a damp sponge. <laughs> and the bear's like, no, Bruno will dive 1,000 feet into a block of cement on my head yet. <laughs> and he does. Yeah. And, and the other one to me is, um, you know, when, when, Bugs and Bun- when Bugs and Daffy are doing their routine at the theater, and Bugs is being just the nicest guy in the world, and Daffy is going absolutely berserk. Because he's, you know, got second billing, and he's got he's he's in a closet to do his changing, and you know, <laughs> and and ends with the big the big explosion routine, and and Bugs like, hey Daffy, they want more. He's I know I know, but I can only do it once. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's drinking nitroglycerin and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Some uranium two thirty eight. That's the one time that people actually cheered for Daffy Duck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, July twenty seventh, nineteen forty. That is absolutely uh, a date that will be remembered forever in the annals of cartoon history. The eightieth anniversary of Bugs Bunny. Yeah. So, hey, um, moving right along, uh, the movie Mulan. Uh, this is the live-action remake of the Disney animated classic. Uh, Disney announced earlier this week that they're going to forego theatrical release of Mulan in favor of debuting the film on its Disney Plus service. But it's going to be the premium Disney Plus. So, you know, whatever you're, you're, you're yeah, if you, you can only watch it if you've got Disney Plus, but it's going to cost you an extra twenty nine ninety five. 
if you want to see Mulan, and it's going to be available on September 4th. Now, Disney CEO Bob Chapek says uh, that this is a one-off as opposed to uh, some new business windowing model. But my guess is part of that depends on how successful this potentially is. I mean, of course, Disney Plus uh, just hit a home run with the uh, streaming debut of uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, which I think uh, at this point virtually everybody in the United States has seen who has Disney+. Plus. Nope, uh, so I'm just curious. Not me. <laughs> well, you I, ought to see it. I will eventually. Yeah, I yeah, got uh, yeah, let, Let's hope. Uh, Julian, have you heard the soundtrack at least? No. Oh, man. You ought, to listen, <laughs> you ought to listen to the music. I didn't want to listen to the music because I could see the show. Oh, and oh, I'll see yeah. the show with the original actors. When I feel like, because now I can watch it whenever I want. They paid millions of dollars for this. It's not going away anytime soon. And I paid them $7. It'll be there. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, I hope you decide to watch it soon. All There's right. too much stuff to watch. In any case, I'm wondering what you guys uh, think about this uh, with business with Mulan. Uh, I mean, it's kind of an artifact of necessity. These The theaters are closed. And we don't know when well, they, they could hold it. I mean, doesn't look like Warner Brothers is releasing Wonder Woman 1984. We'll yeah, see. They, they, they certainly see. could. They certainly could. But the fact is that, I mean, the longer they hold these things, the more they're going to be piling up and piling up. And you'll get movie calendars that are certainly being bumped back like two years and stuff as a result because of that uncertainty. I mean, it's 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 an interesting experiment. I just like to compare to compare Disney and Warner Brothers is, is apples and oranges. And the reason why is because Warner Brothers is so old school Hollywood that they're very rarely willing to try to do anything outside the box. Whereas Disney's like, yeah, let's try it. Let's see what happens. But they also have more money to play with ultimately. So it's if they if they make a couple bucks off of this, I mean, it, it's a win for them. If, if they don't, eh, what are you going to do? You know, like they still they can mess around with this sort of thing. I can understand why Warner Brothers is doing what they did, but like, why not sell the rights to Wonder Woman 1984 to HBO Max and release it there? Because they're still going to see a cut of that because of the contract that they have with them. It just, it's... I mean, I wasn't really going to go see the Mulan movie anyways. I don't like all the live-action remakes they've been doing. It, it just seems like... I mean, they're just basically just like printing their own money for this they already own the rights to it so they don't have to pay anything for it it's it, it's i don't know i i really haven't even seen them because i haven't been interested um i'm you know i'm cool with it you know this wouldn't have happened without Tro trolls world tour being successful it also wouldn't happen without warner brothers releasing scoob uh directly on video on demand either it's true which people don't give it credit for doing the problem with the problem with releasing these movies uh, on video on demand is you can't make the money back. Um, if you spend two hundred million dollars on a movie, the gamble isn't to make two hundred million dollars; it is to make a billion dollars. It is a lot harder to do that without the theaters, and nobody really guessed how bad this was going to be. And how bad we were going to screw up in our country. So I think Mulan is a good gamble because China's back. 
and they have open theaters. And there's also open theaters in the rest of East Asia and other places in the world where people can pay money and go sit in the theater and watch the movie. So if basically all the Westerners are in their house, especially the Americans, uh, paying $30 on a platform they already own that they already, you pay to have access to, then they might they might be able to squeak out breaking even because I don't know if anybody else paid attention to uh, their their um, report this week. They're they're getting yo Disney hurting this year. Yeah. Like yeah, because the parks are closed. The park the parks took well, the parks a hit. Are back the open moves, now. Yeah. yeah, but they already lost three point two billion dollars for a quarter. So it's just yeah. like um, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Like they 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 lost all because Disney is a place to have movies every month. So they're losing out on. There was no Black Widow. They should have already made four billion dollars in movie sales right now, yeah. and they haven't. So all these things are happening. And if you're a stock owner, you're like, "Yo, what y'all gonna do? What y'all fitting to do?" This is what they're doing. They they got sixty. They got sixty and a half million new uh, subscribers to Disney Plus, and they're gonna put this on there for an extra thirty dollars. I don't know why people are really complaining about this. It seems like the most of the people that are complaining don't have. Families and children, they're thinking about themselves and they're being selfish. I don't have a wife, I don't have kids, but I do know if I had to take a family to the theater, yo, that is a big chunk of money out of my pocket. Thirty dollars is a lot nothing. Thirty bucks is a deal. Yeah. Thirty dollars is nothing. To the movies, yeah. Mm. You're listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA ninety six point seven FM and streaming on WERA.FM. We are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. Uh, I'm joined by Drew Bittner and Julian Lytle and Mike Lunsford. And we're in the middle of talking about Mulan, uh, which Disney has announced earlier this week. They plan to release uh, via Disney Plus. In a month. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, so we're just kind of speculating about that. I'm sorry. And um, Drew, you were getting ready to say something. Uh, no, it doesn't mean speculating that uh, $30 is a, is a bargain, even if you're only renting, honestly. And I have a feeling that's what the deal is. You, like, pay 30 bucks to rent it for 48 hours or whatever. And Yeah. You oh, know. you're definitely not owning it. <laughs> you're definitely not owning it. It's like a deluxe, kind of a deluxe on-demand deal. But um, who, who knows? I mean, they may wind up doing this with some other things. I, I think they'll probably try to hold on to things like Black Widow. And some of their other things that are real, real big, you know, franchise connected or, you know, big tentpole movies for them. Um, I don't think James Bond is going to come out on demand, but um, you never know. I mean, if this if this just keeps rolling on, then studios may have to make that call. You know, uh, Julian, I thought that uh, some of the observations that you made were really astute in terms of this, because for the reasons you mentioned Mulan is a good bet for them. Uh, I think particularly with the Asian cast, uh, the expectation is that this particular American picture should play better over in China and the rest of the Asian market. Um, The fact that you can put this thing out there and you're going to be able to get uh, butts in the seat, so to speak, in the theaters, uh, along with 30 bucks uh, a pop, 
from the American audience that is sitting at home. You know, the other thing, um, it, Mike, you had mentioned that this wasn't a film that you were going to see. And I understand it's like, yeah, this isn't something that Jax is necessarily likely to, to, to want to see. I can tell you that uh, my wife and daughter were so hyped about this movie. And um, I was very disappointed because there had been a preview screening that had been announced and I had mm -hmm. made sure that I had tickets for the wife and the girl and we were all going to go and it was going to be great. And then it's like, oh, worldwide pestilence. And all of a sudden you couldn't do it. <laughs> it but, makes perfect uh, sense with how old your daughter is, though, that this would have been her jam anyways. Because Oh, that cartoon played in my... It didn't play as much as Lion King, but yeah. it played. <laughs> yeah. It's, it it's, absolutely played. It was one of those things that, like, I'll see it when it's on disney plus but just by and large the the live action remakes of the cartoons i've just not been interested in seeing but like i was just kind of like mad to the whole thing i was like yeah whatever they don't have anything to lose but like you said you know julian made a really good point about it playing in china which is yeah, right? and that chinese market is huge i and mean that have, that's oh they have a lot more say into this film versus the original film so the film has a more basis on the the more serious fable of mulan Mm. And it's also it's made like a wuxia film, so it's not like there's like there's no singing in it. It's like no, it looked you, it looks like good. If, if you like like oh, Shaw Brothers films, no, if you like Shaw Brothers films with the sword play, I mean the sixties the sixties Shaw Brothers with the sword play and the, and they really getting busy with the with the arts with the sorry I'm getting to my Wu Tang bag, but you really <laughs> get into them them real martial arts films like Jet Li is the emperor in this joint. Come on, it's gonna be flame. Donnie Yen in this. Like yeah. this is big time over there, so yeah, it's right now is the right time to put it out. And I have a feeling that I don't know if Black Widow is going to come out or not. It's possible, but I think if it does, or if um, Eon Films or whatever decides to, to do it with with James Bond, the pressure is going to be on Tenet because I think right now Nolan is 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 fighting back against the execs. But if if the execs have a big case like, hey, yo, our competitors are putting out these big movies. Then um, I know you shot this on IMAX, but we got to make some of this bread back because we don't know when America's going back to having theaters. We don't know if they're going to have theaters when we come back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of the movie. It was a Jet Li movie. Um, and I, I'm at a loss for what the title was. I want to say it was Hero. But looking at it, looking at Mulan, it looked cinematically very similar to that. Wait, wait, wait. You're talking about Fearless? No, he's talking about hero. No, hero. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> I'm talking about in comparison in comparison to Mulan. Sorry. Right? Just yeah. very... No, no, no. It's it's, yeah. it's Tony Leung. It's um it's Zhang Ziyi. It's Jet Li. It's the story of how our land, China, is created, the myth version of the man who went to assassinate uh the Chin the, the Emperor at the time who brought all the warring factions together. Yeah. It's one of the most beautiful films of the two thousands. Yeah, I absolutely loved the movie. I remember going. I got to see it in theaters. Oh, Donnie Yen um, is in that too. Like everybody was in. It. It's, it's stunning, stunning. Hmm, yeah. Clearly, I'm gonna have to look for that. Oh, you got to. Yeah, just... <laughs> Kung Fu in that. Woo, Chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah. Clearly, everybody is going to be watching this with some interest. Look, we're almost out of time. Uh, there was one other thing that I had wanted to mention. Because uh, there was a historic uh, mission in, in actual space uh, that came to a conclusion earlier this week. The SpaceX uh, Dragon spacecraft carrying NASA astronauts Robert Binkin and Douglas Hurley 
splashed down into the Gulf of Mexico on Sunday. And it was a safe end to their historic two-month mission and paving the way for the United States to once again become a world leader in human spaceflight. Um, Mike, I know you followed this pretty closely. I did, yeah. We watched the we watched the splashdown and everything, and it was just it's kind of cool. I, I don't I'm not even sure why. I've just I've as a kid, I've always been fascinated with space travel, and whenever something like this came on, it it was something that I needed to like kind of sit down and watch. And when it, yeah, it, it was something that space travel has always fascinated me. I, I one of my most vivid memories is being maybe like seven or eight years old and watching that first shuttle launch after the challenger uh incident and yeah just a- any time like I, we were in florida at one point when john glenn was back in the space shuttle going into space and like it's just something that i i always try to carve time out for and it's cool because i love the new tech i'm not a big fan of elon musk in general i think he's kind of a jerk but like still i mean he he helped create this vessel that they used and Anybody helping to further our ventures into space is at least he's got that going for him. So, uh, as as an older guy, I'm sure uh, you know Drew, being the other old man of the bunch, uh, can attest mm-hmm. to this as well. This this was a thing uh, at one point because uh, I can tell you that in July of 1969, the the eyes of the world were glued to the television for Apollo 11. And uh, that was just that was just what you did. It was the astronauts. And uh, every time they were, you know, I mean, whether you're talking about going to the moon or, you know, whatever, it was always historic. So uh, there's been this this fascination, I think, that humans have. Uh, And we all experience it every time we go outside at night and look up at the stars and dream. Uh, There's something there to which to aspire. And so uh, and we had gotten away from it, quite frankly. I mean, even. The, the shuttle missions uh, were, you know, because we should have been pushing out. We should have been going to Mars at a time when we turned inward. But after Apollo 13, uh, I think that really soured a lot of people on space travel because they realized it was dangerous. And uh, there were, we, we certainly would have had more successes, but w- there would have been tragedy also. And, you know, you try and send people to Mars. Uh, we would have had people who died, and uh, turns out, given the expense of that particular endeavor, there just wasn't the stomach for it in the U in the U.S. Congress to finance this kind of thing. So, uh, and uh, I don't know that people saw the uh, immediate win or what there was to gain outside of sort of being able to beat on our chest and plant the U.S. flag on another world. So. Uh, don't know about that, but this this certainly heralds something good. I mean, I think it's really worthy of note that this was, uh, as you mentioned, uh, SpaceX being Elon Musk's thing, you know, private concern uh, up until, well, just recently, really, the U.S. government was the one that was financing this. And now it seems as if the burden for uh, the financing of it is going to shift over to the private sector. And the fact that you actually had NASA using this service to get up to the International Space Station, uh, we've never seen anything like that. You know, and the fact that private industry could actually provide the service because, hey, we've been having to go over and have the Russians take us up into space since they're the ones who have had the capability since the shuttle program got shut down. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, of course, very interesting, and we'll have to watch as all of this unfolds. But, uh, regrettably, that's all the time we have for this show. It's been a wonderful show, and I'd like to thank my fantastic guests. Of course, if you are interested in what you have heard, you can hear more Fantastic Forum by visiting the website at fantasticforum.tv. Also, the show re-airs each and every Thursday right here on this station at 3 p.m. from 3 to 4. And if you're interested, you can also find us as a podcast on The Great Geek Refuge. And I understand we're available through iHeartRadio and iTunes and all other kinds of crazy stuff like podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcasts, you you listen to it on a podcast you can find it somewhere it's, that's it's what i'm talking about <laughs> that's what i'm talking about yeah so check us out there and of course come back again next week same bat time same bat station